0: Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. He watched the five men go by, four able-bodied men, each one on the corner of a gurney. The fifth man lay paralyzed. He had seen these same men before. They would oftentimes take him to the city gates or to a busy street, and they would drop him off so that he could collect alms all day but not this time. This time, Matthew overheard them talking. We're not taking you to the city gates today, they said. We're taking you somewhere else. We're taking you to meet somebody else. And the way they kept saying it over and over, it's a rabbi. It's a teacher. It's a, it's a doctor. He, he has some miraculous ability. The tax collector watched as these four men Struggled with determination to carry their friend to get him into the presence of Jesus for just a moment. Matthew reflects on his own life. Do I have four friends that would pick me up and carry me anywhere? If I paid them. But if I were broke, could I find four friends to carry me into the presence of a spiritual leader? Not a chance. This is quite a fall from grace for Matthew, the tax collector. You see, Matthew means Levi, as in Levite, as in the tribe from which God will pull the, the priestly line of Aaron out of. And now he's a tax collector. How in the world did he end up here? We don't know. But how do we end up in the places where we end up, in those dark corners of the world? How did we get there? It wasn't a conscious decision when we ran our, our lives off course, was it? We didn't think to ourselves, you know what sounds like fun? Wrap my life around a telephone pole. No, but it was a million small decisions that got us to that place. It's the constant chase for fame or validation. It's the, it's the drive for money. It's this need to be loved and accepted whatever it is we will run our life off course to get these things it's not just the personal guilt that messes with matthew as you know personal guilt will subside after a while you can grow some calluses and you can stop feeling bad but there's another thing that i think is weighing on his mind and it's this it's the pure isolation the paralytic had four friends People don't even make eye contact with the tax collector. There's no niceties in this job. There's no, thank you, sir. There's no, have a good day. There's no smiles. It's just resentment, money exchanging, anger, bitterness. And that isolation, I think, is what wears on Matthew. How will he meet a nice girl? How will he meet a nice Jewish girl. Soon as her dad takes one look at him, he will know that he is a tax collector, which means he's worse than a Gentile tax collector. He's a Jew gouging his own people. He's a traitor. This occupation leaves him on the fringes. His name is Matthew, but he's been categorized into this umbrella grouping called Tax Collectors and Sinners. Tax Collectors and Sinners. They're despised. All manners of sinners exist underneath this umbrella. Thieves, rapists, prostitutes, tax collectors. Well, at least there's honor among thieves. Yeah, but you still keep your wallet in your front pocket. And you keep your money in your socks let's be honest it's easy to look at a guy like Matthew and be like he's discriminated against because of his occupation maybe he didn't choose the thug life Jared maybe it chose him oh okay whatever maybe it was his circumstances (laughs) maybe it was But you know what? At the end of the day, his life and his way of life is affecting other people. So nobody needs to stand beside him and pretend for one second that he's the victim. He's not the victim. Why didn't he choose a different occupation? Couldn't he choose a different occupation? Haven't you thought to yourself you'd like to choose a different occupation at some point? Why didn't you? For the same reasons. I'm enslaved to my luxuries. I'm scared. Family expectations. Cowardice. Of course, he could choose a different occupation. But there's things that just happen. And as you grow up and you become an adult, you just end up in these patterns, in these ruts. And it's really hard to pull your car out, you know? You're just kind of stuck in it. I wish I didn't live this life, but this is where I'm at. And that's where Matthew is. Stuck in that place. Matthew's thoughts begin to run wild, though. See, some of us, I don't think we choose a bad lifestyle or we move ourselves outside of uh, God's word or we want to remain sinners on purpose. I think for some of us, the reason that we choose the life that we choose is for the same reason I think Matthew did. You see, there are those kinds of people who they don't leave the tax booth because they sit there and they think to themselves, I'm not just going to bite on any rubber worm that's hung in front of me. I'm not settling for the garbage that I'm seeing. And you examine Matthew's life. Here's what I think is going through his mind. Maybe I've burned up the road so hard and so fast to get so far away from what I'm supposed to be because I want to know if God will really show up. Maybe I've hidden myself in the valley of the shadow of death because I want to see if the good shepherd will actually come. And maybe we live our life begging for the rod and the staff because we so desperately need its comfort. In my mind, Matthew says this, This is not a tax collector's booth. This is a billboard for the heavens. This is my invitation to God so that he will show up into my life. This is me jamming wrenches into the system hoping somebody will come to the basement and try to fix this mess. It might be more more nobility in this thinking than we, we would really ever imagine fact that maybe sometimes we set up these lives and we push so hard to go one direction because we just want to see if he'll show up all the attempts in the world to rationalize your sinful behavior does little to ease the pain it really does little to ease the pain when this is your life and you get stuck in a pattern like this you know what the situation is you're looking for the next thing why? because the past hurts and the present sucks and I hope there's something in the future that will give me hope because I don't want to deal with what's back there and I don't like where I'm at and maybe there's something over the ridge maybe there's something that's going to happen and so we wait. And for Matthew, like us, he feasts. He goes to the party. He goes for the drinks. He just wants to be numb. I'm having an interesting conversation with one of my daughters the other day. Why do people choose to be in an addiction? What's so fun about it? <laughs> right? What's fun about it? It's got nothing to do with fun, does it? It's got everything to do with I don't want to feel that. I'd rather feel this. Oh, it's not fun. It's just I don't want to feel that. So we choose this. I think that's Matthew. Setting in his tax collector's booth, which is a prayer of salvation. Here I am trying to throw enough contrast into into the heavens so that God will come down here and be like, yo, what is your problem? I just want to know if he'll show up. If you've got little ones, if you've got young ones, if you've got children that have wandered off the path, I want you to consider that this is part of it. They're reaching out. Are you with me? That if you've got a prodigal, and they're living like this, that they're looking. And it might not look like they're looking, but they're looking. They're extending a hand. They're writing a sign, and they're floating something into the heavens just to let the world know, like, I just want saved. I just want saved. As Matthew sets with only his thoughts to keep him company, the afternoon turns into evening, and the Galilean Sea, the breeze comes off of it, and it's starting to cool down, and people are starting to show back up. The people who come by earlier are not coming back by at the end of the day. Boats that had been circling and, and fishing all day long are showing up and now docking. People who had been working all day in the bakery are now coming by. That means it's time for Matthew to get to work. A tax on the fish, a tax on the bread, a tax on the merchant. He sets up shop. Next, come up, exchange money. He's got his head down. His pen counting it out. How much did you bring in today? 14. Next. Puts the money in the bag. Pencils in the number. Next. And something happens. There's a noise, uncharacteristically joyful noise of people that begin to walk through and come by. And Matthew looks up and he sees the same four men he saw come by earlier, only this time there's a fifth man and he's walking. Matthew thinks to himself, surely not. Surely not. That can't be the paralytic that they were carrying earlier. I heard them say they're going to take him to this Jesus, this rabbi, this healer. I heard them say that, but surely that's not him. And then it dawns on Matthew, maybe I never even looked at the paralytic. I don't know that I could even identify him. The crowd is leading Jesus. Hundreds of people walking around this rabbi. And Matthew sees him. He will stop on occasion and he'll talk about stuff and the whole crowd will laugh. And and they throw their head back. And Matthew's thinking, what are they saying? What is this teacher talking about? He's got those men with him, men that he used to tax, men who walked away from their father's business, men who parked their boat at the dock and they never went back to it. Those same men who he had taxed them over and over and over. They just left. And now here they are with this Jesus. And then Jesus looks up through the crowd and makes eye contact with Matthew. Uh, Uncomfortable, you know what I mean? uncomfortable eye contact but it's one of those eye contact like you can't look away and Matthew can't look away and he wants to and Jesus just keeps looking and all the disciples around him they see Jesus staring and they look too and immediately their faces change back to that all too familiar glare the the one they always give the tax collector Matthew looks down Next. Next. And in the bustling, all of a sudden, the whole group grows quiet. I said, next. And when he looks up, the rabbi is standing there, right in front of him. Now, it wasn't a look of judgment. It wasn't a look of condemnation. It was just a look And it must have been an impactful moment because later on, Matthew will write in his own gospel that as Jesus left there, he came upon a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And that must have been important because Matthew writes, he saw a man. He didn't write, and Jesus saw a tax collector. He saw a man. Something pretty powerful about that. Just that one little phrase. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. He says two words to Matthew. Two. Follow me. The Galileans were not backwood rednecks like they're oftentimes presented. It's not like they're from, you know, Yates Center. Or <laughs> if there were hillbillies in Yates Center is what I mean. If there were. It's not like they come from a place called... Tyro, you know. Where, Tyro, Kansas. Where are you from, Jared? The city? Yeah, the Tyro, Kansas. It's population two, 242. Not, not these folks. It may have been a small town, but here's the thing you got to understand. Every single kid at the age of five started Torah study. And so they would begin to study the Torah at synagogue. By the time they turned 10, if they didn't already have the entire Torah memorized, they had major parts of it memorized. By the time they turned 15, they did have it memorized. And then they had a couple of options. They could find a trade, they could move into their father's business, or if they were very, very, very good students, they might apply to a rabbi to see if they might be able to study under a rabbi. If they were accepted by a rabbi, it was one of the the greatest honors that a Jewish family could receive. Which makes those words, follow me, even more impactful. Rarely, rarely, rarely did a rabbi ever go and choose his disciples. They applied. But not Jesus. Jesus went and found his own. He's the kind of rabbi that sees life in a paralytic, who finds future rabbis just under the surface of a fisherman, and who can look at a tax collector and say, I think he really does yearn for something more than money. Matthew drapes the big cloth around his kiosk that's right beside the sunglass hut, in between where you can buy those microwavable bean bags to put on your head. He pulls the curtain around it, and he walks away. Life forever changed. You see, there's two kinds of tax collectors and sinners. Two kinds. And this might be offensive on some level. (coughs) And I'm not sorry, really. You see, there's this first group of tax collectors and sinners. It's not just all the same people. There are subgroups inside of that as well. There are the first kind of tax collectors and sinners, and that's this kind. They're like fabulists or fabulists. Their whole deal is they're not interested in truth. They're interested in half-truths, and if they are interested in truth, it's their truth. They will demonstrate for demonstration's sake. They will throw a fit, and their whole point is to stir controversy wherever they can stir controversy. There's no desire for truth in their heart. All they care about is making converts that will stand beside them and reassure them that they're right, and it doesn't even have to be real. Pardon, pardon this, but they are the most uninteresting people in the entire world. So, Uninteresting. Do you know why? Because there's no personal journey in that. That's just a mad little kid throwing a tantrum on a playground. That's not real. That's not a personal journey. That's not like the rest of us, trying to get somewhere, trying to go somewhere, trying to learn a thing. These are just people that are standing out being human roadblocks, throwing a hissy fit about who knows what. Tax collectors and sinners. Then there's the other kind. This kind? If you are this kind of tax collector and sinner, you are welcome to worship with us anytime you want. Here's why. Because you're not at the tax collector's booth because you want to just be different. You're at the tax collector's booth because you're waiting for something real. You sit there parked where you are holding this little plot of real estate saying, I'm not moving until it moves me. I'm not interested in a pretend God or a fake Jesus. Life cannot be summed up in bumper stickers, and God has got to be bigger bigger and better than a dry little chicklet and even a rustier, dustier group of stories. And until I hear that, until I see him face to face, until he calls me personally, I'm not freaking moving. If that's you... You found your people. You found your people. Because we live in a constant state of awkwardness when you're around Jesus. If that's you and you're that group of tax collector and sinner, then this is exactly what you need to know. These are the people that you need to know. Because here's the thing we're not comfortable with the current state of the church either. We hate the politics too. We're not comfortable with taking widows and orphans and pushing them away from our borders and we're also not okay with letting our guard down. We're living a paradox. We're not okay with the world's idea of 50 shades of crap or open sex. We're also very aware of the fact that the church has done a fantastic job of avoiding the topic for about a thousand freaking years. We're not okay with that either. We're not interested in busting somebody's chops about the way we want to live and we're not interested in buying into somebody's logical fallacies and and, and bowing down to something that we don't even understand. And if it makes you feel any better, there's times that even when us who, we would call ourselves well-versed in this book, we sit down and we read it and we find it very, very, very disheartening and uncomfortable the things that Jesus has to say to us as well. But if you're looking for truth, this is who you're looking for. If you're on a personal mission for truth, then He is what you're looking for. If you're in a place to where finally like, okay, this might move me forward. I'd like to be a part of this. Good. Because here's the deal. We don't all think the same. We don't live the same, we don't act the same, and we don't talk the same. Here's the deal, though. What we've figured out on this journey called life, the only recipe, the weirdest recipe in the world, that has given us a little bit of peace and a little bit of joy is the fact that when all of us gather in this place and consume the words of this book, somehow we get like a little glimpse Of hope, a little glimpse of joy, and we find a whole lot of peace. That's the weird recipe of it. Other than that, we don't really know what we're doing. If you're okay with that, you're welcome here anytime. Matthew calls his friends on the phone. Well, and it took some explaining calling all the tax collectors and sinners so I'm going to be a disciple okay then what well I'm going to follow this rabbi sure you are did you start drinking at noon puts together a feast and he invites him. I mean listen it sounds like a joke so tax collectors sinners and a rabbi all sit down to eat dinner but there are those in Galilee who do not think that's funny at all. They're the moral police, the Pharisees. The Pharisees stand outside across the street glaring into the door, watching this conundrum, this sinful act. You call yourself a rabbi and you sit down with these kind of people. What in the world is wrong with you? You twist off. But, but, but they're not really big enough or brave enough to ask Jesus himself. Matthew writes, they asked his disciples, why does your rabbi eat with sinners and tax collectors? Nobody really has an answer. Matthew didn't answer it. I mean, he's brand new. Here's what else is interesting. All his time, all his time as a tax collector, he never mentions having an altercation with, with the Pharisees. And then, as soon as he becomes a rabbi and his relationship with God gets better, who shows up to, dis, to, to discredit every single thing they're doing? The church. Of course, it's the church. It's always the church. Only army that'll stab its wounded the church. There's really not a good answer if you're a rabbi and you're parked with these kind of people. Unless, of course, you're Jesus. And so the disciples, they're kind of like, well, we don't really know. I mean, imagine, these are good Jewish people who followed the right path. They, They walked away from their father's business. Now they're disciples underneath the new rabbi. And then they get questioned. So why is he here with them? And you know that some of them were like, look, I'll be honest with you, dude. I don't know why he does half the stuff he does. I don't have any idea why he's eating with tax collectors. this is a brand new deal for me. But when news gets back to Jesus that they ask this question, the room falls quiet. Jesus doesn't really take kindly to messing with his friends. I don't know if you're aware of that. But he doesn't. And the brilliance of this statement, the brilliance of this statement. <clears throat> I, I've got your... Come, come across the street. Come here. Come in here. Can I invite him in? Yeah, come in. in. Do. You, what was the question again? Uh, we were just. Uh, c- c- it was actually him. He was wondering if. Why? You, why? It, it, well, you ask him. You ask him. You. You go ahead. Ask him. Yeah. I hate you. Um. Why do you? It's not it's not typical what the, a rabbi would sit down in in, in the, the company in, in, this, in this company. To which Jesus replies that one of the most indicting statements that you'll find. Oh, well it's a that's a great question. Because it's not it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Now, here's what just happened in the room. It happened in that room, and it just happened in this room. You begin to question yourself. If you are this purest type of tax collector and sinner that is on the path looking for truth, you just ask yourself the same question. Well, am I sick? But see, if you're the first kind, if you're a fabilist, if you're fabulous, you didn't even ask. Oh, that's somebody else's department. That's just data for somebody else. Oh, he came for the sick. Well, that's nice of him. That doesn't include me. Bravo. Perfect deflection. Awesome. Jesus says, I came for the sick. And then everybody in the room had to do a self-assessment. Well, am I sick? You see, you know what the beauty is about the second type of tax collector and sinner? Listen, if I were to walk up to you and say, man, my friend, your soul is sick. You would look at me and you would say, oh, I know, your soul is sick too. I would say, yeah, but you are twisted, my friend. And you would say, you are twisted, my friend, too. You would say, man, you are hung up in some weird stuff. And I would say, you are hung up in some weird stuff, too. You see, there's just this understanding, right? If you're in the purest group and you're looking for truth, you don't have any problem coughing it up and being like, I am a disaster. I could use a doctor. But if you're the other kind, that's too imposing. There's too much pride in the way. You can't just say, I'm sick and I need a doctor. You've got to say, he's sick. He needs a doctor. And then Jesus does something that's unheard of. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, the thing that you only say to disciples. So, go learn what this means. Look, We're not in the right context for that to really land like it needs to land. But like, if there was a way to say it, it would sound something like this. You don't know crap. Go learn this, young grasshopper. go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came, I did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. And so, so long as you stand across the street and you assume to yourself, those people are sinners, you're the problem. It's only once you've walked into the home and you've sat down with Jesus that you said, I'm pretty sure I need a doctor. And he's like, the doctor isn't. See, if you're looking for peace, then you've come to the right place. If your lifestyle is, you're just trying to throw contrast and jam wrenches into the gears so that you can get his attention, he will show up. He will show up. You keep messing with him and you keep coming to church and I promise you, Jesus is going to rearrange your furniture. I promise you that. He's going to show up in your life and he's going to start switching some things around. He always does. And if you keep staying stuck inside that little... Tax booth saying, I'm not moving and I'm not buying into what the world is offering me this conditional, generic, plastic acceptance. I'm holding out for something better. I'm not selling out. I'm holding out for something better. He will come and he will call you and he will say two words to you in the beginning that he will say to you the rest of your life Follow me. Follow me. And listen close, my friends. If you came here and what you need is four friends to get you to Jesus you're in the right place because I can point to them. I can point to the ones that got me to him. I can point to the ones that got some of you to him. And if you're out there thinking, yeah, but that doesn't work for me, you give me a half a chance. I'll put you in a group of people who they are just like you. They were paralyzed once too. They were broken once too. But Jesus extends his hand he welcomes anybody to him. If you don't know him, you need to know him. Oh, he's, he's not angry at you. Do you need to know that? He's not mad at you. You know what's brilliant about this is that Matthew learns his very first lesson from his rabbi in the moment while he's still sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus looked up and he saw a man named Matthew at a tax collector's booth. And his very first lesson under his new rabbi is this. You are not your job. You are not your job. You are not your work. Whatever it is, that thing you do, that lever you pull that makes that part that produces this thing... Or that person you talk to and you create some sort of freedom in their life or that kid that you speak with or you teach them something you are not your work and Matthew would also tell you this you are not your sin are you broken have you messed it up pretty good know this Jesus sees a man he doesn't see you sin he sees a woman he doesn't see past mistakes